And does everyone have a handout? We, I'm an old school guy, so no PowerPoint presentation. The note, you've got your note sheet there and your outline. Does everyone have a handout? All right. Well, all right. All right. Very good. Well, let's. Well, let's let's open with prayer. Please bow your heads. Lord, we are so grateful to be here this morning and uh, so thankful during this Thanksgiving season, Father, and also this first day of Advent. Uh, what What a wonderful time of the year. Father, we pray as we study the Apostles' Creed this morning that you would open our eyes, ears, and our hearts to your truths. It is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. The, the Apostles' Creed, you'll see this in your Trinity hymnal, and you'll also see when you flip over the Nicene Creed, the very next page, you see the Westminster Confession of Faith. I think it's important before we dive into our, our topic for the day is the Holy Catholic Church. But let me Let's, let me take you through just a little background introduction before we jump into the Holy Catholic Church. You'll see the Apostles' Creed, and I can't say this any better than what the, the footnote at the bottom of the page says about the Apostles' Creed history. Look at the bottom there with me real quickly. It says, although not written by the Apostles, the Apostles' Creed is a concise summary of their teachings. It originated as a baptismal confession probably in the 2nd century, and developed into its present form by the 6th or 7th century. Now flip over and look at the bottom of the Nicene Creed. It originated at the Council of Nicaea in 325, and expanded form was adopted by the Council of Chalcedon in 451. It was formulated to answer heresies, those big Gnostic heresies, that denied the biblical doctrine of the Trinity and of the person of Christ. And then look at the bottom of the Westminster Confession. The Westminster Assembly of Divines convened by the English Parliament in 1643. Wouldn't this be a great thing for our government to be doing today? Completed the Confession of Faith, the Shorter Catechism and the Larger Catechism in 1647. So it took them three and a half years to compile this. These documents have served as the doctrinal standards, huge next sentence or phrase, subordinate to the Word of God for Presbyterian and other churches around the world. So after looking at this history, look at your your outline. We ask ourselves, what is a creed? Because if you flip one page prior to the Apostles' Creed, you see this. Look at this. What does it say at the top? Creeds. All right, so what is a creed? Creed is a set of beliefs or, a, or confessions used to articulate the content of our faith. Packer says this. He says, The Apostles' Creed is the rule of faith. It is truly the gospel. He says it is the PowerPoint declaration of the gospel. Go back to your Apostles' Creed. It is totally Trinitarian. Now, What is our hymnal called? Trinity hymnal. So this creed, Trinitarian, three paragraphs. Look at each one that begins in I believe 
We've got God the Father, we have Christ, we have the Holy Spirit. We're going to be looking at the third paragraph today. But this creed is a wonderful outline of the role and function of each member of the Trinity or the Godhead. 109 words. I thought about Miss Day saying, write a concise statement in 100 words. And this is slightly more, 109 words, but an incredible, succinct, clear affirmation of beliefs, deep spiritual truths. Packer says this, it's an analysis of convictions on which faith in Christ must rest. Look at the last paragraph when it talks about the Holy Spirit. I believe, we all studied this a week ago, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Now, Sproul calls this pneumatology, study of the Spirit. I've always loved this ending. Ever since I was a little boy in the Presbyterian Church in Somerville, just the, I called it the final six or the big crescendo. It has this just awesome cadence, symmetry, and rhythm. It's almost like a referee counting out the seconds. And I did this several times this week. It's about two seconds per, per clause, so about 12 to 13 seconds when you, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. It's, it's a great sextet. This, it's also, Sproul talks about this, it's, it's got strict theological logic. Notice how the last paragraph of the creed confesses faith in the Holy Spirit before proceeding to the church for the next two lines, the Holy Catholic Church and the Communion of Saints. It also speaks of the church, lines two and three, before mentioning personal salvation. So we have the Holy Spirit, the church, then personal salvation, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Lines 4, 5, and 6. So with all of that being said, now let's jump into our, our topic for the day, and it is the Holy Catholic Church. What do you think of when you think of the word holy? without looking at your outline or anything else. What do, you, what do you think of when you think of the word holy? Anyone? I'm sorry? Blessed? Separated to God. There you go. There you go. So it's a set-apart community. Now remember, it's talking about the church right here. Set-apart community, consecrated to God. In the Old Testament, Israel was this set-apart community in the New Testament, it is the church of Jesus Christ set apart, consecrated to God. Someone please read 1 Peter 2, 5 through 9. First Peter two, five through nine. All right.
Excellent. Thank you. Look at this next bullet point. Holy, it's a division or separation from that which is profane. What does the word profane mean or profanity? What does that mean? Yeah, cursed, offensive, gross, sinful. So a division from that which is profane for a unique relationship with God in Christ. Could someone please read Romans 12, 1 through 2? Excellent. And this, he's basically talking about the sanctification process here, the process of becoming more holy. This applies individually and corporately as a church. Listen to what Sproul says in his book on this verse. Nothing is as radical as a new mind, and a new mind is a matter of theology. To be conformed to the thinking of this world is to think with its forms or structures. To be transformed is to think beyond the forms of this world. And the power for this transformation is the renewed mind. It means a new set of beliefs. A renewed mind means a major reorientation of what we believe. This renewed mind is initiated by the immediate, sovereign, supernatural work of God, the Holy Spirit, in regeneration. Then he closes with this. It is to believe the things he believes, talking about Christ, being Christ-like, to love the things he loves and to deliberately abstain from the things he denies. The Westminster Confession, look at page 856. It goes into great detail about sanctification and it starts off in paragraph 1. This is on page 856 of your Trinity hymnal. It says, Of sanctification, this process of being made more holy. My RUF leader in college called this, he said it's a constant battle. It's a battle. It's trying to be, it's hating your sin more and more, loving God more and more, trying to become more Christ-like. Constant battle. You'll see this this holiness in, this yearning for holiness in paragraph 1. Paragraph 2 under sanctification, for further reading, go back and read Romans 7 this afternoon. This is Paul's epic struggle with sin, what he's talking about in Roman numeral 2 under sanctification. Roman numeral 3, he ends with perfecting holiness in the fear of God.
what the book of Proverbs teaches. Proverbs 1.9, the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. That's part of this sanctification process. It's ongoing. It never stops this side of heaven. It will be a constant battle. Look at these, look at these words of Sproul and Packer. Curios. Those who belong to God, like David said earlier, consecrated to God. Those who belong to God, people of God who belong to the house of God, they are the body of Christ. Another word we look at, ecclesia, those called out. Called, that's where the word ecclesiastical comes from. Called by God to a particular relationship to Himself for a vital kingdom task. All right, now we move into one of the most interesting and over the course of history controversial terms here, which I, we, have, we have done a great job in our bulletin over the years of, of putting a footnote here. The Holy Catholic Church. What does the word Catholic mean? Universal. Church universal. I put C bulletin. We didn't have it in the bulletin today. We've got a different creep. Y'all have seen that before. It has a little footnote at the bottom and it says, Catholic means church universal. Flip over. I know we're hitting the Westminster Confession hard, which is a good thing. Look at, chap look at page 863. Does this go, if there was any question whether we believed in a Catholic as far as, the, as far as Catholicism, it debunks it well in this chapter 25 where it talks of the church. The very first line defines what a Catholic church is, the Catholic or universal church. Now, Roman numeral 5, Augustine talked of this mixed body, and that's what it's talking about there. But if you had any question whether these Westminster divines thought that they were taking their marching orders from Rome or that in any way the Pope was some type of divine authority, look at what they say in paragraph 6 here of chapter 25 on page 863, Roman numeral 6. There is no other head of the church but the Lord Jesus Christ, period. Nor can the Pope of Rome in any sense be head thereof. You think they answered that well back then? <laughs> Pretty strong stuff, isn't it? Pretty strong. So Catholic, church universal, embraces all true believing Christians everywhere. Here's what Packer had to say about that. This is, this is a wonderful quote out of his book. <clears throat> it is the worldwide fellowship of God and body of Christ in whose faith and fellowship, social, racial, gender, age, educational, professional, and political distinctions cease to count. All are one in Christ. Someone please read Galatians 3.28. Actually, read 3, 28 through 29, two verses.
awesome. And he, he ends his quote with this. This is why the church is called Catholic, which means comprehensive or inclusive in both extent and quality. So we see what the word Catholic means here. Now, on to the, on to the final part. The church, the holy Catholic church. Who in the room has heard of the invisible versus the visible church before? Raise your hands if you've heard that term before. Okay. Well, here, here's what those terms mean if you have not heard of this. Look at chapter 25. In, I think we're already there. In your Westminster Confession, it explains this really well, and I'll try to, I'll try to hit a real concise summary. Look at page 863. You see how it goes right into which is invisible. Then Roman numeral 2 talks about the visible church. It hits on it again in 3. All right, so here, here's the simple definitions I've learned before and what both Packer and Sproul teach. The visible church, and this is pretty easy, it's, it's an organization or institution. It's, it numbers those who appear visibly on a church membership role or those who are actually sitting in the church itself. Okay, that's the, the visible. You can see them either in attendance or on a church role. The invisible church is all true believers who profess Christ, period. We don't know, only God knows who, is, who are members of the invisible church. Now certainly we should have fruit that confirm our identity. So from an individual side, we see this, well, both individually and corporately, this invisible and visible church. What are the hallmarks, without looking down, what are the hallmarks of a biblical church in your minds? What, are, what, what should be there? Anybody? All right, sound preaching and teaching of the true gospel. What, what else? Perfect. Perfect. We're commanded to do what on, I don't have this down here, but put it on your, put it on your sheet in a huge letters, worship. We are commanded to be here to worship. So here, here are some things I jotted down. Hallmarks of a biblical church. It is ordered. Remember, God is a God of order, not of disorder. Sound doctrine, where worship is paramount in the one true, uh, worship of the one true triune God. It is structured, David said, proper observance of the sacraments, discipline, and accountability. When you hear the word confessional or confessing church, what, what does that mean to you? What is a confessing church? When we confess something, what, right? What, what are we? What are we doing? All right, we're 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 clearly articulating the content of our faith, right? We're saying we acknowledge we're sinners in the presence of a holy, omnipotent, sovereign God. So we clearly articulate the content of our faith. Look at this real quickly. Flip back to page eight forty-seven of your confession.
where does this confession begin? What, what is the ultimate authority? Scripture, of Holy Scripture. It is the ultimate authority on which our faith must rest. And this confession, I love how it says that in the bottom line of the footnote, subordinate to the Word of God. Scripture is the ultimate authority. But the confessions are based on, they're making, they're articulating their faith based on what they believe with Scripture as the ultimate litmus test. Supernatural society, bride of Christ. If y'all heard of this example of we're in the looking back and looking forward or the already, not yet. Have y'all heard those terms before? So, yes, I know, I know Tyler has, has talked about the already, not yet. I remember an old illustration of the eyeball. So it had the, the cross and the resurrection back here, and this eyeball is looking that way. And then we have the return of Christ, second coming over here, and this, this eyeball is looking that way. Have you all seen that before? The already, not yet. So we look back with thankful, grateful hearts at the acts that Christ has accomplished, but we also look forward with hope, encouragement, and anticipation of His, of His second coming. So think about that. I thought about getting Lizzie to draw a diagram of these eyeballs looking, looking to and from. <laughs> these are two great passages here. Someone please read, if you can, Pick up with verse 1. Colossians 3, let's pick up with verse 1, 1 through 4. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Excellent. Someone please read Revelation 19, verses 7 and 9. This is the great wedding supper of the Lamb passage right after the Hallelujah chorus. Revelation 19, verses 7 and 9. Or you can read 7, 8, and 9 if you like. If you're a believer in Christ, you are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. The church is the bride of Christ. He's inviting us to that, to that wedding supper. Another earmark of an effective biblical church. Look at E. Outward focus, missionally minded. Evangelism, and we've, we must always be intentionally missional. Lastly, we look at the local congregation and where it fits in with this holy Catholic, this holy universal church. Listen to what Packer says. He says, it's a visible outcrop of the one true church universal. Let me, let me read this to you and hang with me. This is not terribly long. But he says this about the local church. 
the acid test of the church's state, he's talking about the local body, is what happens in the local congregation. Each congregation is a visible outcrop of the one church universal called to serve God and men in humility and perhaps humiliation while living in the prospect of glory. Spirit-filled for worship and witness, active in love and care for insiders and outsiders alike, self-supporting and self-propagating, each congregation is to be a spearhead of divine counterattack for the recapture of a rebel world. We are to be salt and light in a fallen world, pushing back the darkness. Here's a question for all of us in the room today. How is our congregation getting along? I would say, well, but we can all, in a fallen world, we can always improve, and it will always be a constant battle. Keep praying for this church, the leadership, for Tyler, for the staff, for the officers. Pray for our families. Pray for our marriages. Pray that this body is effective, that we are truly a visible outcrop of the church universal. Questions, comments? Right. And they get confused by that. What, what am I getting? <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I think it's in there most of the time when we have the Apostles' Creed. You don't put it in the bulletin because they don't print it in the bulletin anymore. They return it to the confession. Gotcha. Other questions, comments? Sir. So this is a very special place. Amen. I especially loved Sproul's comment on this last paragraph. He said, this, he calls it strict theological logic. The creed confesses faith in the Holy Spirit before proceeding to the church, which are the next two lines, and then it speaks of the church before mentioning personal salvation. That, that was just really strong. Um, other questions, comments? Why do you think it is uh, more, it seemed more important by putting you know, a common deal, people together as opposed to the person? I'm sorry? Can you repeat it? I don't want to <laughs> Well, it's because the, the church is where it, it, it is, A, the bride of Christ. B, it is where we're taught to become believers. So it, it must come before 
the personal side and what empowers, enlightens, quickens all of this before we get into the church or personal, the work of the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Godhead. So it just flows logically, Holy Spirit, church, personal. It's really, and I can get you, they, they, they explained it better than I just did, but it's really good. Well, that being said, let, let's, let's close in this manner. Let me ask you this. Christian, confessing church, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.